I'm thinking about dropping out of this MBA program to start a blog. I think that's that's going to be my game plan. What do you what do you think? Hey, this is Heath Padgett, and welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 184. Today's episode, I'm interviewing Nick and Hannah True from MapDownMoney.com. A few years ago, Nick came to Hannah and told her that he was going to no longer pursue his MBA because he was going to be a personal finance blogger. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall during that conversation, but flash forward a few years, and currently Nick and Hannah are traveling around the country in an Airstream, and as of now, they have both left their jobs and are working on Mapped Out Money full-time along with a few other projects that they have in the works. There's a lot that we talk about in today's episode, and one of the big themes is around personal finance because that is the whole intent of Nick and Hannah's blog. We talk about their transition from several years of schooling and the whole notion of sunk cost and how sometimes that keeps us from doing the things that we really want to do because we've spent so much time doing them, and the idea of moving forward and doing something totally different is really scary. We talk about that and a lot more in today's episode. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode with Nick and Hannah True. Nick and Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for having us. We're really excited to be here. Yeah, we're looking forward to it, man. We got to meet at our RVE Summit last year, and we were just talking about how much we all equally hate small talk at events. So I want to make sure that in this podcast, we're not like chit-chatting about the weather or anything dumb. Like that, The whole point of this podcast <laughs> is to not do that. But I just think that that's a fun way to kind of kick off this episode because we met at a conference. We hung out most recently at a conference well nick and i and Alyssa did so when you guys go to an event because you've been to so many what are some of the ways that you guys like like connecting with people and engaging in ways that aren't like corny conference if that makes sense totally i I think one of the big thing was learning to lean into like both of our strengths so for nick going around and talking to people and networking is a strength so i kind of let him do that Whereas I can kind of hang back and we've talked about how we both enjoy like working conferences and everything. So I'm a lot more comfortable in a working position or volunteer position. And then as far as hanging out with people, especially like at the RVE summit, we really enjoyed having a smaller group of people come back to the Airstream and just sitting around a campfire, having dinner, telling stories about RV disasters. I mean, you know, that's not small talk. That is like major connection right there when you start talking about black tank stories in your RV. Yeah, I think my biggest thing, we just came back off of another conference last week. And when I think back to my favorite times over the week, one was an ultimate Frisbee game. We got up super early one morning and like 20 people got together to play ultimate. And then another was right when we showed up the first night there, we ended up going out late. The conference was in DC and we did all the monuments really late at night and just hanging out. And so I'm a big fan of having some sort of activity and kind of chit chatting along the way. I love that. So before we kind of go into this whole thing about conferences, because I could talk about that for a long time, I want to start with y'all's story. I know on the blog, you guys kind of started talking about in 2015, you were both kind of on this path uh, going to PT school. And I know, Nick, you were looking at doing an MBA. And then from our conversations and what you have on your blog is basically like, Nick, you came to Hannah one day and you're like, hey, I've been reading a lot of these blogs. So instead of going to get my MBA, I'm going to start a blog (laughs) about personal finances. Like, let's just start there with that conversation. And then like what's transpired from there? Because that seems kind of like the that pivotal moment. It was. (laughs) Okay, let's do that. 
So when Hannah and I first kind of found out about this whole RV and online business thing, it started because in 2015, I had graduated college and I'd kind of did everything I was supposed to do. I got a degree. I got a good job. I got everything. And then all of a sudden I felt pretty empty. So I was like looking for that next thing. And Hannah was enrolling in grad school and physical therapy school. I was like, well, maybe I should do grad school too. So I enrolled in an MBA program. And, you know, that was kind of the next logical step that you're supposed to do as a professional. And it also just made sense because we both had our heads down in school. And so I told Nick, I was like, listen, once PT school is over, like I want to be done with school. So if you're going to do anything, let's do it now. Let's get it over with and then be finished. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of what we were doing. And then I. I don't even think I attended my first week of class and I was just not feeling it. I did not want to do more school. I didn't like my job. I didn't want to build a career in that industry. And somehow I had learned that all these kind of personal finance blogs that I've been reading online, I've been reading them for a long time just because I was into finance, but I didn't know that, wait a second, these people, like some of these people actually make money. Like they do this full time. Yeah. I remember Nick worked a wedding with one of his friends from high school and they were like running sound together. And his friend in the middle of the wedding was like, dude, have you heard of Pinch of Yum? These people are like raking in the cash every single month, posting recipes and pictures of food. And that was when Nick kind of made the connection with all these personal finance bloggers that he really loved. Like this was their career. This was what they were making a go at. So I ended up finding a mutual podcast that Heath and I both like, uh, Smart Passive Income, found that and listened to a few episodes and I went to Hannah and I said, hey, I'm thinking about dropping out of this MBA program to start a blog. I think that's that's going to be my game plan. What do, you, what do you think? But he also tried to use Mr. Money Mustache to sell me on this idea, which <laughs> if you know anything about Mr. Money Mustache, it's like cut everything, spin nothing. They like got rid of their dryer. So when Nick came to me with this, I was like, listen, we're going to have to put some hard lines in the sand here. I am going to dry my clothes and I will live with electricity. So, so <laughs> we cannot be Mr. Money Mustache. We're not going that crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole idea was like start a blog and share your experiences with personal finances. But like what were your experiences to date with personal finances? Was it something that you were just always interested in or like how were you approaching this whole idea of sharing like your knowledge around personal finance? Yeah. So when I first got started, it really was doing what I was doing already in my personal life. So to kind of back up, I used to do a lot of teaching. I, I would teach piano lessons and I used to tutor math and I was just into finance for myself. Like I wanted to be good with money and I wanted to have money. So I got into reading investing books and budgeting books and personal finance books throughout college. Then all of a sudden when I graduated, all of my friends kind of around me None of them knew what a 401k was. None of them knew what credit cards were and, or how credit cards really worked. And I just kind of noticed myself becoming the go-to person in my friend group talking about credit card statement cycles and how to you know, choose your 401k funds. And so that was a pretty natural fit for me to, to just say, well, maybe I'll just share what I'm sharing in my friend group, but I'll do that online and, and see if other people resonate. So that's kind of how it started. There's so many blogs out there around the personal finance space. I know you guys just went to FinCon in DC last week. Like there's probably literally thousands of people there who have blogs around the personal finance. So when you were starting to go down this path, 
how did you think about being different than people out there? Or is that something that you really thought of? That's a great question because the honest answer is I didn't. And that's <laughs> kind of why we that's kind of why we didn't get any traction for probably a year. And I think that's a important part of our story in terms of so other people can learn and what not to do. When I first started, I was just pumped up about doing some, you know, I'm gonna start a blog. So I'll just write about whatever came to mind. And I didn't have a good strategy behind it. And I think after my first year, I was still maybe getting, you know, 100, maybe 200 views a month. And so I really had not seen many or much traction at all with the blog because I wasn't focused on differentiation. And it wasn't until I started honing that part of our story and trying to find my voice and, and lean into my strengths that we started seeing some real traction. Yeah. What were some of the early posts that actually started people resonating with because I, I remember for us it was like we did the same thing we wrote for like a year pretty dedicated and you know we got a little bit of views here and there but there was nothing that we could point to and say like we're gonna hang our hat on that thing and it wasn't until we had done our first year of travel and did all 50 states and we shared kind of our finances ironically around like how much the trip cost how much we spent because it was kind of an interesting thing how much does it cost to visit all 50 states like we posted it in a Facebook group and just kind of put it out there. I was like, hey, pop quiz, like how much do you think it costs? And I logged off and kind of like forgot about it for an hour and I was gonna go back in and post it. And when I got back in, there was like 350 comments and people were like getting angry that I hadn't shared this already. They're like, this guy bait and switched us. <laughs> and uh, long story short, I realized like people are really interested in the finances of not only how much does it cost, but you know, how can you make an income while you're traveling? And then that's where I started crafting content around that. So. When it came to your blog, like, was there something that you realized you could kind of like hang your hat on or had a different take than somebody else? I think I'm going to speak for Nick here. I think <laughs> the biggest thing was recognizing that his strength really lies in teaching and breaking skills down. And so he wrote a YNAB guide and that took off a little bit. But then he made this transition from blogging to YouTube. And YouTube allowed him to get on to the YNAB software and really go through step by step and show people how to utilize that software to manage their money and get where they want to go. And that is what really resonated. And that's where the coaching and courses and everything that we do now kind of came from. So let's talk about YNAB. You Need a Budget is the name of the app. And I know we're kind of like jumping from one into the other, but like, I guess, can you share a little bit of what that is if nobody's ever heard of it? Yeah. So to piggyback on kind of what Hannah said, uh, YNAB is, is just simply a budgeting tool. Okay. There's tons out there. There's Mint, there's Every Dollar, there's Personal Capital. You can use an Excel spreadsheet. YNAB is just one of those tools, albeit it's one of the more complicated tools, but it's also one of the most powerful. And it's one that Hannah and I used personally. And to her point, when I started doing more of an assessment of, okay, what am I good at? What is my strength? And my strength does lie in breaking complicated things down into an easy-to-understand manner. And when I leaned into that, we started seeing some traction. So YNAB is a budgeting tool. It allows you to budget every single dollar. It's an envelope method budgeting, but it's done all digitally. And so you have a desktop version and then, of course, on your phone. We started using it, and then about two years after we started using it, I started going really deep into to building out some tutorials for it. And a big part of our story that led us to YNAB is while I was in school and doing different internships for physical therapy, Nick was managing all of our money using Quicken just on his computer. So I might go for 12 weeks to Knoxville or eight weeks to Ohio for different 
PT internships and not have any access to our budget. So I would go out and spend money just normally. And Nick would be calling me like, oh, my gosh, this is not in our budget. What in the world are you doing? And I was getting mad because I didn't know how I was supposed to even know what our budget said. I said, I don't have access to it. I'm just doing what I normally do. So our communication was really lacking. And that's when Nick started looking for a different tool that we could both have access to. And that kicked us off on the YNAB train. Yeah. Did you guys have a different like philosophy on money whenever you were married? Or did you come from pretty similar backgrounds as far as like, yeah, we kind of approach money in a, this certain way? I would say we both approached it in one, you know, a couple different ways. We had some similarities, meaning we both grew up thinking like, okay, debt is kind of bad. We probably shouldn't go into massive amounts of debt. We should probably save for the future. Some general big stuff we were on the same page with, which I think is important, you know, to kind of nail out hopefully before you get married. But when it comes to the day-to-day nuances of it, we were very, very different. And a lot of that had to do with what we wanted to spend our money on and our underlying values. And those ended up being more similar than we realized at first. But when we were first getting married, you know, Hannah wanted to spend money over here and I might want to, you know, spend money over there and actually cut back where she wants to spend and think about our long-term future. So working through a lot of that together was (laughs) super, super tough at first. And I think for me, for us to, to get on the same page, it really came down to trying to have empathy for the other person and understanding what is your value with money? Like what, what do you want to be spending on? And we didn't really get on the same page with money until finally I realized Hannah wants a dog so bad. <laughs> and she, she was just, she just wanted a dog. And and so we were fighting over, over like spending on clothing, clothing or groceries or going out. We would fight over that kind of stuff because I was like, we don't need to be spending that. We need to be saving it for these other things. And she was like wanting to do, you know, spending there. But what I realized was that if we would come together and say, hey, I know you want a dog. Let's talk about it. What what does it take to get a dog? Let's break down the monthly expenses. Well, it's going to cost this much at, at first because you got you know fees and you got medical stuff and crates and you got all the initial. And then on a monthly basis, you've got medical and food. So let's come up with some numbers. And then can we sit down and have a budget? And all of a sudden, because getting a dog was worked into the overall game plan of our finances, like saving for long term and putting money away in addition to, oh, and we're going to get a dog very soon. Hannah was super pumped about budgeting at that yeah, point. Yeah, my, my motivation was there at that point. <laughs> so basically, you guys just like had to get on the same page as far as like, it wasn't that you didn't necessarily want a dog. It was just that you wanted to do it in a certain like process, thought out kind of way. Exactly, exactly. So Nick is also the type of person who legitimately enjoys seeing his retirement savings number go up like way more than any any amount of spending. Like, <laughs> you know, so you could you could lay something out really cool for him and ask him if he wanted to buy it or put that money in the bank. And he's going to choose the bank pretty much every time. And I'm not that person. So, so we just kind of had to come to terms with that and how to work together in that. But on that note, it has to do like, it's not a Scrooge McDuck thing where I'm just like wanting to swim in my piles of money that I see. Like it's the underlying value of that. Like what I noticed Heath was for me, I'm just bent. I'm geared this way. I don't know why, but I was born with this like super long-term thinking mindset. And so whenever I'm spending money now, I, I, I can't help but think about 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now and what our life is going to look like and how I could use that money then for something better down the road. And so I'm just bent that way and trying to 
you know, balance out this enjoying today and, and being able to spend for today and, and have a good time today while also not, you know, totally destroying our future and, and also planning for that. Alyssa and I are, we have a similar dynamic, except I'm the one who's like, okay, we have this money in the bank. What can we go buy? <laughs> and Alyssa's like, no, it's going in our Roth IRA or whatever. And so we have that kind of tension. Money is a pretty, it's a very emotional thing. I read, this might be bringing up a sensitive subject, but I'm interested in digging in, if, if you guys are open to it, that you guys had some friction on your honeymoon because of like a few hundred dollars. Yes. Yeah, we had some friction. <laughs> can you can you share what happened? Yeah, if you don't yeah. mind. No, it's not gonna like it's not sore, right? It's been a few, it's been like no, five no, years. no, no. It's a we're good. We've come to terms. With it's it. and it's okay. a big part of our. I mean, it's a big part of our story, and it's a big part of of even RVing now uh, is working through a lot of that. So, for those who don't know, what happened was is my parents extremely generously offered to pay uh, for or buy tickets for us to go on a cruise for our honeymoon. We had originally planned to go to the mountains yeah. and sit in a cabin and basically do nothing. Yeah, basically had... spend no money. <laughs> and so because we didn't have a lot of money that first year of marriage, we were both young, still in school. And so I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I didn't really I didn't really research anything. And I really didn't know what to expect about cruises. I just assumed that they were all inclusive. That was like what I thought. So we show up and of course they're not all inclusive. You've got to pay tips, you've got to, you know, buy some sort of drink package even if you want just like, you know, sodas. Not not necessarily alcohol. You've you still got to buy that. You're going to want to get off the boat gonna, and do yes. cool things in cool places. So pretty quickly I realized, oh man, this is actually going to end up being, you know, way, you know, a lot more than I thought because I thought it was going to be nothing, right? So anything more than that was a lot. <laughs> and and long, you know, long story short, I just let that eat me alive. I let the not going according to my plan ruin everything. It put me in a bad mood, and I ended up just being a complete jerk to Hannah for whatever four days, five days straight. We literally fought the whole time, and it it, it was not fun. And I I completely ruined our honeymoon all because I let the unexpected expenses kind of completely derail me, and that. It ended up being probably foreshadowing a lot. I would say up to this point, almost every fight in our marriage over the past five years, the vast majority of them have – a lot of them have stemmed from me building up a, a game plan in my head and then something derailing that and then me freaking out and then that causing a lot of tension. And obviously in an RV, everything doesn't go according to plan. Like that happens all the time. So we've had to work through that and, and I've gotten a lot better over the years, but it was definitely tough at first. And I do want to give people a little context and give Nick some credit in the honeymoon story. When we got married, Nick was 20 years old. I was 23. I had just started physical therapy school. Nick had one year left of his engineering degree. So he was working part-time as an intern at an engineering company, but we had a fixed amount of money that we were living on until he was able to graduate a year later. So that was at the forefront of his mind our entire honeymoon. And I didn't have enough empathy for that at the time. I 100% get that from both sides because, and I'm just relaying all this into our current life situation with Alyssa because she's very much the planner and she'll come up with all these thoughtful things that we need to get done. I'm recording this right now in Denton and behind the computer, there is like 30 sticky notes for all the things that we need to get done before we go on our camper van trip to Italy. That's just how <laughs> she, like she's just a planner and she thinks long-term and it's so great because I'm spontaneous and I will come in at the last minute after she's so thoughtfully arranged like something very intentionally and I'll blow it up and I'll just say, hey, here's this idea. And it can cause a lot of friction when you do something like that. Yes. So 
I get that. So you started the blog called True Tightwad, and then you, you guys end up changing the name because people, I guess it kind of rubbed them the wrong way <laughs> when you were at a conference and shared that. And now it's called Mapped Out Money. But one thing that I think has been kind of interesting and I would love to dig into is that after you decided to start sharing your experience on the blog, you decided to kind of finance it long term through different styles of freelancing, which I think has been a really good path for us as well as we've been doing content creation and client projects. So I guess what made you decide to kind of go that path where you didn't go all in, but you kind of balanced it with client based projects? Yeah, I, I'm a huge, huge fan of freelancing, Heath, as you know. We, we've talked about this a couple times. And for me, freelancing really had three big appeals. So so first off, I hated my old job, and I just wanted to get out of it really badly. I, I felt trapped. They sent me to travel all over last minute. I had very little say over what I was doing, and I really just I did not like it at all. Freelancing, first and foremost, just provided income. It was a way for me to be able to control my day and my hours, work with multiple clients. Yeah, I still had a boss. Like, yeah, it was hard. I couldn't just do whatever I wanted. I have deadlines to meet, but I was in control and I could work from wherever I could work from an RV. So the money that, you know, was was an immediate kind of feature that I loved. But the other two things that I think are not often talked about, which are big reasons to do freelancing. Um, which were big for me is number one is just simply allowing you to test. So what I tried to do is I wasn't just trying to get freelance jobs with anybody that would take me. I strategically pitched myself and looked for freelance opportunities that were with companies or people that were running businesses like I one day wanted to run. So I knew that long term I wanted to be helping people with their money and I wanted to be building out coaching and group classes and maybe even a software tool down the road. I want to help people with their money online through content. And so I looked for those opportunities. And now I work with two different guys who run companies very similar to what I want to be doing. So it allows me to both get paid but also to learn from them and to test and see is this really what I want to do. And then the third reason is for the relationships of the people that you're freelancing with. Again, if you can strategically look for opportunities that are with people that are in the industry that you want to be in long term, you'll be amazed at all the doors that open up along the way. So the two clients that I currently have, when I first got started, I was working with a bunch of different clients and I ended up scaling back. Now I work with two clients in particular and both of them I've been working with for over two years and the relationships that have been built through those relationships with them are, you know, really, you can't even put a price on them. That's That's been a huge benefit to it. I know one of the people that you work with is PT from FinCon and you work with that whole community. So how did you end up building that relationship? And if you're not familiar, I will let you give the pitch for FinCon because I, you'll do it a lot better than I. So what is FinCon and how did you end up getting that gig where you worked with the founder of this conference? Yeah, so FinCon, honestly, if you're a listener of this show, you're probably familiar with Heath and Melissa's RVE Summit. It's really a similar conference. The only difference is instead of being an RVer, and that's the thing we have in content and in common, we're finance people. So it's for people who create financial content on the internet, but it's all how to build your business, how to you know build your blog, and that sort of thing. So I went to my first FinCon, and it's funny, Heath, that you picked out that blog post about ruining my honeymoon. That post, actually, I entered that post into a competition, and it ended up winning one of the free slots to FinCon. That's how I got to go to my first FinCon was oh, wow. because of that article. And so that that's kind of a fun aside. But I went to my first FinCon, 
and I showed up and I volunteered. And FinCon does volunteers a little differently. They don't they don't do like a bunch of full-time volunteers with comp passes. They instead will do like 60 different volunteers over the course of the week, but for two-hour time slots. And so it's just people showing up to help out for a small thing. So I volunteered for a bunch of different slots, mostly because I didn't know anybody. And I was like, well, I may as well go help. And that ended up putting me in very close proximity to PT and then his director of the event, which is Jessica. And I ended up becoming friends with them and just hanging out and just being around. Then eight months later, uh, I didn't really do a lot between then and there other than be somewhat involved in the Facebook group. They both posted that they were looking for someone to help them out with some marketing for FinCon. That's the kind of freelance work that I was doing. So I sent them a message and said, hey, I would love to chat with you about this position. Uh, I would love to work with the FinCon team. And they remembered me from the previous year. They remembered me showing up, how helpful I was, and how willing to just get in there and be around and do whatever. They liked that, and so they hired me. And that that's kind of how it went. I love that. And one path that I've seen a lot of people go is doing similar stuff, but on the flip side, whenever somebody starts a blog and you don't have kind of that financial runway of doing like client projects or whatever in a full-time job, I've kind of seen people get desperate. <laughs> and so I think also having that client-based freelance income, something coming in outside of like your content streams, you, you really need that or you need a lot in the bank. Otherwise you start trying to like do things that maybe could feel a bit slimy, if that makes sense. So having this I'm sure has been helpful. Oh, it's huge. And and that's exactly my point. So, you know, it, it, for very few people, I think, does it make a lot of sense to have the big runway or jump off a cliff and just kind of, you know, build build the airplane on your, uh, as you're falling kind of thing. For, I think for most people, it's nice to have a steady income because, as you said, it forces you or it allows you, I should say, to build a business in the right way and the right way for you rather than trying to rush and get cash because you're burning through it and you just need something. So then all of a sudden you're willing to sell anything to anybody about whatever. And that's never a good thing, uh, never a good position to be in. Yeah, because when it comes to content, trust is the only thing that really matters when it comes to like long-term building a community, creating products, services, et cetera. So it's by cutting off that financial runway and doing things that don't sit well, you're really just kind of screwing yourself long-term. Absolutely. And freelancing also gives you a lot of flexibility as far as being able to adjust. So now that mapped out money is growing a little bit more, you know, we're looking at how Nick can adjust his freelance work to go down a little bit as we simultaneously grow mapped out money. So being able to make those little gradual adjustments to our freelance income is really, really helpful as we're growing mapped out money. Totally. At what point did the RV come on y'all's radar that you were like, you started the blog and then Hannah, I think you finished PT school, I believe. And then like, when did you guys decide, hey, we're going to transition and uproot and do all of this from the road? So the RV first came into play because we were thinking about me working as a travel physical therapist. When we first started thinking about it, everybody that we knew doing it was moving around apartments like every three months. We both thought that sounded miserable. So we ruled it out and that, okay, we're not going to do that. Well, it was probably maybe six months later after we initially kind of thought about travel PT that Nick came across Michelle Schroeder and then you and Alyssa. 
And he was like, look, you know, there's people living in an RV. That could be a way that we could do travel PT without having to move so much. And this should be stated as far as context and the whole story. So back when I was saying earlier, I had dropped the MBA program. and was like, I'm going to start a blog. This would have been a few months into that. So they were starting to align where it was like, hey, look, you could be a travel physical therapist. I'm starting this blog. I can do that from the road. You know, these really could could align very well. So we both knew that like having a home environment was very important to us. So we wanted we wanted to be able to get an RV and make it feel like home and be somewhere that we enjoyed spending time. And so that's where the RV came into play. And that's what really made us take travel PT seriously. And did you end up doing that for a while? Because I know now you're full time working on Mapped Out Money with Nick and you guys work as a team. But for a while you were doing PT, right? Yep. So I graduated PT school and I took two travel assignments total. So not very much. I think it totaled about eight months. Eight months. Yeah. So eight months working as a PT. And then I never intended to quit, especially not as quickly as I did. So when I was in PT school, I told Nick, you know, I'm not doing all this school to not use this degree. <laughs> like I am absolutely not doing it because I knew people ahead of me who were having kids and deciding to either quit completely or go part time. So I had a very different mindset in school than I ended up with after I started working And then just through like complications in the healthcare industry and getting frustrated with some of that at the same time as Nick's work was amping up and he was needing to hire like a virtual assistant or somebody to help him, it started to become apparent that we could use our strengths together and work on mapped out money. And that's when I became open to leaving PT and and working with Nick. I love that. Was there any like outside of leaving PT because of like the sunk cost mentality as far as like you've done so much? Like, was there any other fears with going in on this with Nick as like uh, how you guys would work together or anything like that? There was a little bit around how we would we would work together. But I think at that point we had been living together in the RV. And so I think we felt confident in our ability to, to kind of work through things. We had made it through that horrible honeymoon. You know, we could do it. <laughs> So, and I think our communication through all of that was getting better and better. And I think that we've always recognized that we do kind of have a uniqueness to our relationship where we enjoy doing basically everything together. So, you know, a lot of couples say we can't work out together. We can't, we could never live in that small of a space together or, you know, you name it. And they'll say they can't do it together. And Nick and I have never felt that way. So I feel like that was a pretty minimal concern But I had trouble like having my identity wrapped up in physical therapy and stepping away from that. And I kept talking about how all of these people, all of my classmates were going to be better PTs than me 10 years down the road. And Nick really made me realize, why do you care if they're going to be better at PT? Is that even what you want to be doing? Uh, He said, you know, you're going to be a better content creator, a better video editor, a better graphic designer, all of these skills that you're starting to have an interest in building up, you're going to be better at that than they are in 10 years. I think there's a ton of sunk cost, right? Like I had spent all of my high school and all of my college years thinking that I was going to be an engineer. That's what I did. That's what you're supposed to do. Hannah spent all of, you know, high school college and grad school thinking that she was going to be a physical therapist. So there's a lot of sunk costs because it, it does feel that. And, and to exacerbate the problem, 
you've got people, luckily our parents were extremely supportive, but you've got people in our extended family and friends and, and other acquaintances and especially coworkers who are telling you that it's a waste, telling you what a waste to not use your degree, what a waste to give up and, and go and, you know, kind of do your own thing. It's just terrible. And so it really did. It was it was tough. I think it was tough for me making the initial jump. And then it was tough for you when you left to come work with me. Yeah. Is that still something that you guys are like working through from an identity thing? Or do you feel like you've kind of like went past the hump of like, I'm good. I'm secure. What we're doing, we enjoy it. I think it's definitely, it's a process. And I think as Christians, like we know that our identity doesn't come from our career, but sometimes you can still get wrapped up in that, even though you know it's wrong. But it came down, you know, Pat Flynn talks a lot about making sure that you're climbing the right ladder. That's what it came down to for us. And at the end of the day, I know that physical therapy wasn't the right ladder for me to be on. It led to a lot of other things that we're, we're looking at for the future, like adopting and especially adopting kids who have special needs. And I wouldn't change anything about it as far as my path, but I know that it's not where I need to be right now. I think the other part of the identity piece is it's very easy to put kind of that carrot out in front of you and say, well, when I do this, then I'll feel like I'm actually, you know, a content creator, a business owner, whatever. And so for a while, Hannah was like, when I first started, when I first started back in 2015, you know, and was like, I'm going to quit my MBA. It was like, well, when you actually make your first dollar, then like, then we can say something. And so I got my first freelancing gig and then I started building up freelancing work. But then it was like, well, but that's like not actually our business. Like that's just freelancing. So when we make our first dollar from mapped out money, then we'll do it. Then we made our first dollar from mapped out money. And then it was like, yeah, but like a dollar's really not that helpful. Like when we make our first $1,000, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. you just keep going and going and going. Then I'll feel like I'm, you know, something else and I'm not supposed to be a PT or an engineer and you can do that all day. And so you, you have to get out of that mindset. We had to, we had to break that. And at the point when I quit physical therapy, we still hadn't made any money from mapped out money. It was shortly after I quit physical therapy that mapped out money started bringing in income. Yeah, and what are some of the ways that you guys are currently bringing in revenue on the site? So it's a mixture of things like most. We make a decent chunk of money from YouTube ads. So we back in late 2017, I shifted to instead of being blog focused, we still do some blogs to being video focused. And that was a after a process of leaning into, okay, what are my strengths and do I do better on audio, video or writing? And I think part of the problem, the blog never gained a lot of traction was because I really needed to be doing video. That was where I, I could shine, whereas my written skills were not nearly as, as good. So we do YouTube ads and we make money off that. We make money off of affiliates. There's a few products that we promote, not a ton, but a few. And then the bulk of our income comes from one-on-one -on -one coaching that I do one-on-one -on -one budget coaching with people. And then we have these group classes, which are different than a DIY course. So rather than doing a, a course where they you know, buy and then it's kind of they do it on their own. We're, we're running these classes that actually feel more like a college class. So you sign up and then it's a five week class where we teach on Monday nights and we have an office hours open Q&A on Thursday night and then Sunday night homework is due. And we do that for five weeks. And the classes are all around budgeting and managing your money and taking those long term goals, breaking them down so that you can actually build a budget that's going to help you hit those. I think that's cool that you guys have went the path of creating more of a college course feeling like thing than going the course route. Not that courses are bad. It's just there's a lot of them out there. So it's probably easy to kind of get drowned in the noise. One thing that I'm interested in is how is travel meshed with your frugality, Nick? Like, 
when it comes to like deciding on going places, you guys have now been on the road for how, for how long? Right at about two years. Yeah. So when you guys are thinking about where you want to go and things you want to do, is there a friction between like, hey, we can either stay put and spend less money or we can drive to this place and we're going to spend gas money, maybe campsite fees or whatever, but we're going to get to appreciate the lifestyle. Like what has that kind of friction, if there has been one, like looked like for you guys as travelers and entrepreneurs and, you know, finance people as well? There's definite friction, man. It's it's probably one of the tougher things that we have to keep in mind. So the way I, I try to think about it is Hannah and I have spent a great deal of time thinking about our current values and prior, and then prioritizing those values in accordance with our spending. So for us, we do a, once a quarter, similar to you guys, Heath, I know you all get together, you and Alyssa, and you do a big dreaming and planning phase. So once a quarter, we go and find a place for you know one or two days, and we focus on the business and on our personal. And in that, we have a conversation around our values. And in those values, we talk about what's the most important value to us when we spend money. Is it time and convenience? So we'll spend money in order to gain that. Is it experiencing new places? Is it supporting our family? Is it social time with each other? Is it athletic kind of adrenaline rushing activities? So we come up with a list of those. And then we use those to kind of drive our big top level goals. So for us, what I mean when this gets practical is in a couple of years from now, we would like to have the money set aside to adopt and to also buy a house, probably somewhere near the beach if possible. (laughs) (laughs) And so we've worked backwards to say, okay, well, how much money do we need to be saving every single month in order to hit those goals? And then for us, the, the last amount of debt that we have is paying off the Airstream. And we're very close and we're aggressively paying it off right now. And so we've got some goals for paying that off. So we, we kind of start with those top level, big, high value stuff. And we get that in place. We want to pay off the Airstream for us. We want to pay it off by the first quarter of 2020. All right. And so then as long as we're hitting those top level goals that align with our biggest values, then let's spend the rest. You know, let's let's do as much as humanly possible that we can and go to the coolest places, stay at the nicest parks that we can stay, you know, and, and, and go out to eat at some of the best spots that we can find. As long as we're not taking away from our biggest priority, which is family for us and inside a family, that means a home eventually. And it also means adoption. And it also means planning for a vacation with my in-laws when Hannah's dad retires in two years. Like as long as we're on track to hit those, then let's do as much as possible now to enjoy the moment. But to clarify a little bit more, I think why why we like budgeting so much in general and YNAB specifically is the ability to track what we're spending when we're on the road and then look back on it. So if we look back at a spending report and we cringe at how much we spent at restaurants, then we go, okay, well, maybe when we're traveling around, going to restaurants isn't one of the most important things to us. Maybe instead we want to spend money renting kayaks to go kayak around the lake and go out to eat a few less times. It's balancing those long-term goals and values with also like the biggest bang for our buck in what we do spend while we're traveling now. Totally, that makes sense. Budgeting for kayaks is always a good idea, I think. Yes, agreed. (laughs) And I also like the idea about having a house near the beach. I think that that is our mutual goal as well. So if you guys find like a duplex, you need somebody else to come in with you on buying it, just let us know because we'd be very interested. 
Hey, we're here for it. Yeah, yes. We're all about that. <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm curious. I, I have one more question for you guys, but before I get to that, we currently use Google Excel or Google Sheets for all of our budgeting. And we don't necessarily have a forward looking, like we can only spend this, but we do track every month. And Alyssa will sit down with me at the end of the month and be like, hey, we're spending too much on eating out this month, or we're spending a ton on groceries, like quit buying everything organic, maybe only get organic fruit <laughs> teeth, or something like that. But I mean, seriously, that's the type of discussions we've had. And it's shifted a little bit. Alyssa, for a long time, she follows Ramit. Uh, that's like her personal finance guy that she really likes following. And one question that he asked, which I really like, is what is your definition of a rich life? And for her, for the longest time, she has a gluten sensitivity. And it was being able to buy gluten-free pretzels, guilt-free. And like, then you hit these like little miles. And I seriously, that was her goal for a long time. And then it shifts. So that's something that we're constantly like looking at and also asking ourselves, like, what does it mean for us to like live a rich life? And uh, I, I like that. I think there was a question I was going to ask, but I don't remember what it was. Anyway, the last question I have for you guys, what's the biggest thing that you guys have learned in the past year or the biggest thing that you have been thinking about as kind of a core lesson? So for me, it, it kind of goes back to maybe the theme that we keep coming back to in this podcast, which is I struggle with when things go not according to my plan. And when you live in an RV, when you run a business, when you have a family, when you're a human, there's tons of things that don't go according to your plan. And I've gotten a lot better than that over the years. But uh, one of the ways that we try to get better is by having some semblance of a routine as much as possible when we're on the road, which is tougher when you're traveling in an RV. And so last year, I read the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. Great book. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. And so I started trying to take that concept, right? What's the one thing that I can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or even unnecessary, right? That's, that's the core takeaway. And when we applied that to our life, what we found was that if we could get up early, all of these other things that we wanted to do, like trying to work out and reading our Bible and getting a good start on the business that morning and journaling, if I could just get out of bed really early in the morning, I would do all those other things. It's not like I would sit around and just not do them. But if I waited and I slept in and I didn't get up until my first morning meeting, then I wouldn't work out that day. I wouldn't read my Bible that day. I wouldn't do my journaling and I would feel off on the business. And then even if we did go out to explore whatever city we were visiting, it wouldn't be fun because I would have all this stuff weighing on me from the business. But that one thing, if we just get up and set that morning routine, everything else kind of started clicking into place. So that's kind of been my biggest takeaway from this past year. And along those same lines, I think that RVing overall has taught us to embrace seasons of life. So, you know, sometimes we're stationed really close to family and we get to hang around grandparents and nephews and, you know, all the people that we love and our schedule looks different when we're around those people. And then sometimes we're out West around nobody that we know. We're not hanging out with friends because we don't really know that many people out there. We're not around family. And so our schedule looks, again, totally different. And so at first, I think we had trouble marrying like what our work life needed to look like and all these different scenarios and us spending time together, just us. And what helps us to enjoy each of those different seasons is having that standard routine that we can put in place during all of it. Yeah, having some type of consistency built into kind of the chaos of everything that's always changing. 
Yes, absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you guys so much for coming on the podcast. Where's a good place for people to connect with you guys on social media? Sure. So we're pretty much mapped out money everywhere. So if YouTube is kind of our main home base. If you type in Nick or Hannah True or mapped out money into YouTube, you'll find us. And then, of course, our website is mappedoutmoney.com. Awesome. And if somebody wants to meet you guys in person, they can come to our next RV Entrepreneur Summit where you guys will be. That's exactly right. We're looking <laughs> forward to it. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, Heath. Thanks. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Nick and Hannah. If you want to learn more and check out some of the links mentioned in this episode, you can go to heathandalyssa.com and click on podcast show notes. Thank you guys again so much for listening to this podcast and taking the time. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day wherever you are. And I'll see you next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.